0: Everybody, welcome to Your Move, I'm Andy Stanley. Today, we're talking about temptation. Temptation is an invitation we are quick to accept and then usually regret, and then we turn right around and accept it again. What is up with that? Let's talk about it today, right here on Your Move. Now, today, we're gonna talk a little bit about temptation And so as I was thinking about temptation, I I made this observation basically as it relates to me, and I think this is probably true of you as well, that temptation for me, temptation is always an invitation to embrace self-interest. Have have you noticed this? I mean, when I'm tempted to do something, it's always, from my perspective, something that's gonna be beneficial to me, or I think will be beneficial to me, but it's certainly all about me. Um, I am never tempted to be selfless. Right? I'm never tempted to be overly generous. In fact, when I have an inclination to be selfless, like I think I'll give up my Saturday and go help them, or give up half a day of work and help them, or not do what I need to do in order to help somebody else, or write a check to an organization that's in need. Whenever I find an inclination to be selfless, I don't consider that a temptation, do you? You know what we consider that? We consider that, am I a great person or what? That's what we consider that, right? But it's kind of the same thing. It's like I'm sort of tempted to do something selfless and then I'm tempted to do something that's selfish. And again, maybe this is just confession and maybe you can't relate to this, but I tend to be more successful at overcoming temptations to selflessness than I am temptations to selfish. Isn't that strange? And then I've learned, and we've all learned, and some of you are in the middle of this, in fact, maybe it's why you're, you're watching or listening. we we learned that over time, that in our pursuit of our selfish self-interest, that we eventually hurt ourselves, And oftentimes we hurt others. And then Jesus comes along, and this is so amazing, he was so brilliant. Jesus comes along and says this, if you live a self-centered life, in other words, if somehow you make your life all about you, all about self, In the end, you don't just hurt yourself. This is powerful, in fact, this may be where you are, you just didn't have these words. He said in the end, you don't just hurt yourself, in the end, you lose yourself. For the next few weeks, we're following Jesus from the time that he was introduced to the world to the time that he sacrificed his life for the world. And throughout the series, we're gonna come back to this theme that Jesus showed up to introduce something brand new, to introduce something brand new to the world. Specifically, he came to introduce a brand new command, a single governing ethic, one single command that would be the governing ethic for his brand new movement, which is called... The church. And from the beginning, from the beginning, those who paid attention and those whose fortunes were tied to the old way, it was very, very clear to them that Jesus had not come to continue something, to do Judaism 2.0, to simply complete some sort of religious book. They understood that Jesus came to do something and to introduce something and to offer something brand new. And so they resisted. And that's the tension of the story. But there's more to it than that. Here's what the text says. The text says, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the diabolos. It's where we get our word diabolical. The slanderer, the accuser in our English Bibles, the devil. Now, this is a really interesting little piece of narrative. Whenever you read anything in ancient literature especially, but maybe especially the Bible because, come on, you don't read any other ancient literature for the most part. In fact, most people don't even read the Bible. But when you run across something in ancient literature, you should always ask the question, why did the author choose to include this? And the reason that's a big deal in ancient literature is there wasn't much ancient literature. And anything that was written took on an extraordinary, extraordinary authority. I mean, even in our culture, if you're having a conversation with someone and you're arguing about something and somebody in the argument says, well, I read an article. As soon as they say, I read an article, the fact that somebody actually wrote something gives it a little bit more credibility. And then if you find out who the author of the article was, it even has more credibility. Well, in a day and age in ancient times when virtually nobody could read and nobody could write, like nine over 90, 90% of the population, anything that was written down had extraordinary, extraordinary authority. It was expensive to write anything down, and so you have to ask, of all the things Matthew, Mark, and Luke could have written down about Jesus, why did they include this? And the answer is, it's not a lesson on how to overcome temptation, although there are certainly some takeaways. It's way bigger than that, it's way more epic than that, and what happens next is central to the story of Jesus. Because Jesus, in these moments, and as we're gonna discover later, Jesus throughout his life was tempted to opt for the old ways instead of the new ways that he had come to introduce. The old way being the me first way, the kingdoms of this world way. In fact, Luke says this was recurring temptation throughout his life. So here's how it went down. After fasting 40 days, 40 nights, He was hungry, this may be the most obvious statement in all of the New Testament, but they included it in case we missed that little detail. He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and he was hungry. Why why do they include this? Here's why. Because they wanted their readers to know in the first century, he was human. He was a person, this is why the apostle John constantly said, our hands have handled, our hands have handled, we touched him. He was not a ghost, he was not an apparition, he was not some sort of spirit, he was human. So he fasted 40 days and 40 nights and he was hungry and he was weak and he was vulnerable and it's as if he was saying to the tempter, come on, give me your best shot. I want you to know how serious I am about the new I've come to introduce to the world. And the tempter came, the text says. The tempter came to him. And now it's a new Greek word, um, paradzo, which basically means the inquisitor, the tester, the prodder, the poker, the person that's gonna try to get out of him what no one else could get out of him. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. In other words, just speak it, and if you're the son of God, it will be done, because I mean, you know, I read the first part of your your book, and God spoke the universe into being, so certainly you could speak some bread into being from stones. Besides that, you're entitled. Come on, Jesus, you're you, you're Jesus. Mortal kings, if they had that kind of power, would do as much. And Jesus responds to this first temptation by leaning into the old covenant, the covenant between God and Israel. Because even though he had come to establish a new covenant throughout his life as the hinge, as the door from one to the other, he functioned under the rules and the laws of the old covenant. So he leans into that and he quotes from the Old Testament. He says this, Jesus answered, it is written, he responds as one under this old covenant, he says this, man shall not live on bread alone. And he quotes from Deuteronomy 8 where it's, it takes it takes us back to that picture of the nation of Israel traveling through the wilderness and there's nothing to eat and God provides manna from heaven. And in those years God was teaching his people to depend on him every single day. Daily dependence, daily dependence, daily dependence. And Jesus finishes it out. He says, "But on every word that comes from the mouth of God, in other words, even though I am son of God, even though I have been sent into this world to do something new for the world, I will not act on my own and I will not act independently of my heavenly Father, because to do so is so kingdom of this world. Then the text says, then the devil took him and Luke says brought him, that is they walked there, they walked from the wilderness all the way to the holy city of Jerusalem. He took him to the holy city and he had him stand on the highest point of the temple. And again, you get this picture that they're standing, you know, balancing on some spire, but that's not the case at all. They essentially went to the highest point of the temple, which was on the southeast corner, where you look down hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of feet into the valley, to the Kidron Valley. In fact, Josephus, who was a first century historian, said if you stood on that southeast corner and you looked long enough, you would get dizzy, and people would have to step back because it it was so spectacular and it was so far down. And so the tempter says to Jesus, okay, let's try this. Then the devil said to him, or then he said, if you are the son of God, why don't you just throw yourself down? I mean, people would notice this would be a big deal. I mean, I mean they saw you on the banks of the Jordan River. That was, you know, a big deal. I mean, like, who is this guy again? But I'm telling you, you throw yourself off this ravine, into this ravine, and you dust, you know, shake the dust off, I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty spectacular. I mean, why don't you just throw yourself down? For it is written, and now the tempter actually quotes the Old Testament that Jesus too can play that game. He says this, he quotes Psalm 91. He, talking about God, come on Jesus, throw yourself down because he, God, will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands. You'll land lightly on your feet so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. In other words, he taunts Jesus, he said, didn't God promise to take care of you? Don't you have faith in God? And in this moment he was tempting Jesus to do what oftentimes we're tempted to do. He was tempting Jesus to try to use God or to presume on God. This unfortunately is the modern version of faith. The faith that some of you were brought up with. The faith that some of you chose to leave. The faith that some of you should leave. The faith that is the reason you haven't been back to church in a long time. The faith that says, if you just believe, you'll receive. If you just believe, you'll receive. If you just believe enough, if you just quote a verse, God has to come through for you. And Jesus answered and said this. It is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test and he quotes Moses when Moses was addressing the nation of Israel on their way to the promised land. The point for us, and we'll move on, is simply this. If you're a Christian, and this may be disturbing, the moment that you try, the moment that you begin trying to manipulate God, the moment you begin looking for a magic formula, the moment you begin thinking, if I do these three things consistently, God has to do something for me, in that moment you are no longer practicing Christianity. In that moment, you're practicing magic. Your religion has become superstition. Jesus would say to those who gathered around to hear him speak, he would say, look, when you think of God, God is not a king in heaven that can be bribed or manipulated. When you think of God from now on, you are to think a perfectly heavenly father, and here's the kicker, a, perfectly heavenly, a perfect heavenly father who already knows everything you need. He does not need to be talked into something. He cannot be bribed. You come as children who simply ask. Now, those were the first two temptations. Jesus got through those and he passed. And he gets to the third one. Now, I think the third one, this is just my opinion, I think the third one's the main event. I think the first two were kind of a warm up. I think they were just getting to know each other because now they've spent maybe days or weeks together. We don't know. And now we get to the third, but not the final, but the third in a list of three that will be repeated over and over throughout his ministry. We get to the main event, but before we get to that, I wanna talk about us for just a minute, then we'll get to it. Here's the question I wanna ask. Why are powerful people so inclined to go off the rails? Why are they so inclined to go off the rails morally, ethically, financially, why is that? I mean, you would think that the more power a person had, the better person they would be. They have less financial pressure, nobody's telling them what to do, they have more freedom. You would think with more freedom and more autonomy and more wealth, a person would become a better person. Why is it that powerful people oftentimes go off the rails? Where does that come from? Why isn't it the opposite? Why do powerful people ultimately oftentimes make it all about themselves? Where where does that come from? Arrogance, dismissiveness, that you know, well, just whatever, you're just the the little people. Elitism, extravagant consumerism, people who just spend gobs and gobs and gobs of of money on more and more and more stuff, and they're a little generous here and there, and they think they're just so generous because they look at the dollar amount rather than the percentage. Where does that come from? Greed, what is that? Because you think, like I think, wow, if I had that much, if I had that much influence, that much power, I would just be the best person. I would be a better person. Why is it that it generally doesn't make people better? It makes them worse. Why do they go off the rails? Why why is it that power corrupts? Why is it that there are just so few stories of extraordinarily wealthy, powerful people who actually end well? What is that? And here's the great thing, and this is, why, this is why you should follow Jesus, you just should. Even if you don't believe he's the son of God, you should follow Jesus. Throughout his time on earth, Jesus taught and modeled. He taught and he modeled, he taught and he modeled. He taught and modeled something that's not new to us, but I'm telling you, it was new to the first century. No one had ever seen it done well on a grand scale. He taught and modeled that power is not primarily for the benefit of the powerful. No one had ever heard of such a thing. That's just not the way the world works. That's not how you get anything done. Jesus, if you're gonna start a movement, if somehow you're gonna move the needle, if somehow you're gonna change what's happening in the vicinity of your hometown and Jerusalem and Judea and Galilee, this isn't gonna work. This is upside down. He taught that wealth is not primarily for the benefit of the wealthy. Jesus consistently taught, in fact, Jesus talked so much about money, and Jesus consistently said that wealth is a stewardship, and that it it all belongs to my Father in heaven, and that wealth, just like power, it's a test. It's a test to see how well you will do, and how well you do is judged not on how you spend it on yourself, but how generous you become. If you can be trusted with more later, And very few people passed the wealth test. Very few people. And I know when I say that, I know what you're thinking. Um, I'd like to at least sign up for the test. How do you, where do you, can you sign up for that test? Because I think I could pass it. I'd at least like to try to take the test, right? And the truth is, if you're listening to me or watching me or you're in one of our rooms, you're already taking that test. 70% of the people in the world, 80% of the people in the world would consider you wealthy. 90% of the people in the world would consider you wealthy. And you know what you do? You do what I do. You think, yeah, well, I'm like middle, there's, you know, there's the super rich. Wherever you are, there's more, they're the rich. That's who Jesus is concerned about. And Jesus will say throughout his, his ministry, wait, 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 what's in your hand? What's in your hand? What's in your hand? Who do you think that's for? Well, I earned it, I deserved it. And Jesus is gonna say consistently, that's the kingdoms of this world. That's the way the world has always worked. I have come to introduce something new and that influence he would teach is not primarily for the benefit of the influential. And then, throughout his ministry, that's why this is such an epic battle, this is why the the whole story begins here. Throughout his ministry, he would be tempted right up until the very last night on this earth. Throughout his life, he would be tempted to go kingdoms of this world and to take what was rightfully his and to leverage what he could leverage for himself for himself, and that's why I think this third temptation was the point of the whole interaction. Again, the devil took him, didn't magically take him, they walked there together. Again, the tempter took him to a very high mountain, and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And of course that's impossible, but now we can do it with Google Earth, but somehow they did it then. But here's what I think, this is just my, and, and I love this, they don't leave it there, Matthew doesn't leave it there. Not just the kingdoms of the Earth, and this is the point, and their splendor. And I think what happened is they went to a very high mountain, probably north of Jerusalem, at night. And they sat on that high mountain, and it was cold, and they were bundled up, and they saw the whole city lit up at night in all of its splendor. And it's as if the tempter said, feast your eyes, because I know this is why you're here. All of this, I will give you, he said. Luke tells us, the, the, he says it a little bit differently. In Luke it says, I will give you all of their authority and their splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want. And besides that, Jesus, I know why you're here. This is what you've come for. I mean, isn't that what we all want? Isn't this what everyone wants? Isn't this what you want? To be recognized, to have your fair share, to have a little bit more power, a little bit more glory, a little bit more wealth, a little bit more influence, a little bit more leverage. Imagine if someone offered you the kingdoms of the world. And he said, all you have to do is bow down and worship me. All you have to do is recognize that it's mine to give, all you have to do, i don't, I'm not for the rest of your life, I just want a moment where you will recognize that it is mine to give. I want you to leverage your worship for your sake. After all, it's what you came for. After all, we both know it's, it's yours anyway. It's what you're entitled to. And come on, who refuses what they're entitled to? Who refuses what they deserve? Who refuses what's coming their way? Who does that? I'll tell you who does that. The people that you have the most respect for. Great people. Here's the point. Jesus had not come to barter for a kingdom. Jesus had not come to barter for a kingdom. Jesus had come to establish a kingdom in the hearts of men and women. A kingdom of conscience. A kingdom that said wealth is not for the wealthy and power is not exclusively for the powerful and influence isn't to be leveraged for those who have all the influence. A kingdom like no other, an upside down kingdom, a kingdom where the, where the subjects were not at the whim of the selfish rulers and kings. A, a, a kingdom where the subjects weren't, weren't required to lay down their lives for the king a kingdom with a king would lay down his life for subjects. There had never been such a thing. And anyone on the outside watching would have said, it just doesn't work that way. And Jesus said, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And the text says that when the devil had finished at all this tempting, he left him, and this is what Luke says, for an opportune time. In other words, this is just round one. We're not finished. While you're walking on this planet, I will be back and I will be back to convince you to opt for the ways of the kingdom of this world. And then the text tells us that after this, Jesus went back north to Galilee He says he went to Galilee in the power of the spirit and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. And then just for fun, just perhaps despite the devil, instead of turning stones into bread, he went to a wedding and he turned water into wine. Not for himself, but for the guest and to honor the host. And do you know why Jesus turned water? into wine because his mama asked him to do it. (laughs) And I think that's the point of this entire story is say yes to your mama and no (laughs) to the devil. Now here's the real point. Jesus early on was offered at some level and to some extent what we all want. But he refused it because Jesus had not come to take over. Jesus had come to take away the sins of the world. And Jesus had not come to lord over. Jesus came to get up under the burden of mankind and he, as many times as he has said this and as many times as he's modeled it and as many times as he's taught it and illustrated it, his followers, they still can't get it. They're still thinking, okay, we know the way the world works here, yeah, those are good sermons, yeah, 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 but whatever, but we know how it works. We know how authority works. We know there's like the top person and the top person tells the next level what to do and they tell the next, we know how this works. I mean, we've seen it all our lives. It's the kingdom of the world. It's the way of things. And so he sits them all down and he says, guys, come on, come on, look at me. He would say, even, even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Guys, I'm serious. We're not going the way of the kingdoms of this world. Earth, the kingdoms of this world. The me first, I'm in it for me. What can I get out of it? Kingdoms of this world. I know it's all you've seen. I know it's the way the world works. I know that you've never seen another plan. You've never seen it work out. But I'm telling you, I'm not backing down. This is why I've come. And I'm going to stay on this course all the way to the very end. And here's why this is important for you, regardless of your religious belief or background or if you're part of another faith community. Do you know what Jesus valued more than the kingdoms of the world? He he valued you. Because you are a part of this many. That he came to ransom his life for you. Because regardless of how much power you had, you don't have the power to overcome the consequence of sin in your life, do you? He came to ransom you because regardless of how much money you have or don't have, no amount of money can heal a relationship and heal a broken relationship and get you forgiven or get you forgiveness from someone you love. And no amount of influence can reverse the consequences of sin in your life. The kingdoms of this world, the values of this world, they don't even even intersect in any kind of meaningful way with the things that are most important to the human heart and the human soul. And so he came to be a ransom for many. And regardless of what you believe, and regardless of what you've been taught, you are part of that many. And do you, know what, do you know what hung in the balance? Do you know what hung in the balance of Jesus' decision to resist temptation to embrace the ways of the kingdoms of this world? Do you know what hung in the balance? You hung in the balance. And do you know what hangs in the balance of your decision not to embrace the ways of the kingdoms of this world? You hang in the balance. And you know what, you already know this. And here's how you know it. Because when you live your life for you, you just get smaller, don't you? And when life is all about you, it's not much of a life. And Jesus said, that's why I've come. I've come that you might have life. And when it's all about you, it's not much of a life. You see, all over the world, we're talking about Jesus. In languages we've never heard of, in places many of us don't even want to visit. The reason he's central is because he did not opt for the kingdoms of this world and his life was so big, and his influence was so big that he outlasted his own life, his own generation. In fact, he would say it this way, and this is what he would say to you, and I'll close with this. He asked this question. He said, come on, Americans? Come on, middle class, come on, upper middle class, come on, rich people, come on, people who are trying to you know, get there, come on, come on. Let's just be honest, okay? You know, you know enough to know this is true. What good is it? What good is it? I mean, come on, in the end, what do you really get out of it? What good is it if you gain the whole world? What good is it if you become the wealthiest and the most powerful and the most influential? What good is it if you gain the whole world? but in the end you lose or you forfeit your very self. Selfishness at the end of the day leads to a loss of the very thing you're trying to gain and save, which is self, and here's how you know this, you know this, you knew this before I said it, because the people who have the biggest lives and the people who make the biggest difference and the people you admire the most are the most selfless, and we rarely see it done well. Jesus says, I've come to establish a kingdom that's all about that. So in this new upside down kingdom, the first would be last and the last would be first. And power, power would be leveraged for the powerless. And wealth would be leveraged for those in need. And influence would be leveraged for those without a voice. But this would not sit well with the powerful and the wealthy and the influential And here's why. And this is where some of you are even as I'm speaking. We naturally resist. We naturally resist what we can't control and don't understand. And so temple and empire would conspire together to crush him. But in the end, they would be outmaneuvered. Well, thanks so much for listening to the Your Move podcast and be sure to check out our website where you'll find your next step, including resources like our free conversation starters based on today's episode. You can access those by simply clicking on the link in our show notes. Also, if you enjoyed today's episode, take a minute to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join us next time and we will continue to explore how to make better decisions and live with fewer regrets. Thanks for listening.